0: Welcome everyone to the fourth quarter comeback. I am your host, six pack Pat O'Connor, ready to bring you all the news, all the insight from week three in the National Football League. Thank you for coming back and joining us here on the podcast. And if this is your first time, thanks for showing up. We hope you enjoy what you're hearing and you come back for more. Please take time to follow us on our Twitter pages at 4QCShow and follow me at 6 as well as following us on our Facebook page on the 4th Quarter Comeback. Now, first up this week, we have Le'Veon Bell. Trade rumors, Pittsburgh, they're saying he's up for grabs. Who's going to give the best offer? We don't know yet. But I will say, for a 26-year-old running back with a career of 5,336 rushing yards, 35 touchdowns, 2,660 receiving yards, and 7 receiving touchdowns, there should be no shortage of suitors. That's not easy to say, I promise you. Le'Veon Bell obviously holding out this year. He's having his issues going on in Pittsburgh. He doesn't like the way that he's been treated. He sent out a tweet the other day, about three days ago, saying sometimes a simple thank you can go a long way. Skipping out on the Pittsburgh Steelers so far, with the franchise tag looming over his head, it's $14.5 million, nothing to sneeze at, but I can understand where he's looking for his long-term gains, he's trying to secure his future, especially after seeing how Todd Gurley got paid off. Currently, he's losing $855,000 a game, that's pretty damn nuts, but when you're looking at the long-term gains of it, and you're hoping for more guaranteed money, bigger annual salary, you're willing to take that hit. It was reported by the NFL network that he turned down five years seventy million with ten million guaranteed. So, obviously, he's looking a little north of that. He's probably looking similar to something like Todd Gurley at the four-year, $60 million range with twenty-two guaranteed. Obviously, a running back his caliber deserves to be paid. I can certainly understand where he's coming from at the same time. If he feels disrespected, if he feels mistreated by the Steelers, and how couldn't he? After he's held out, you see the offensive lineman coming out, taking kind of jabs at him. Whether those are deserved or right or wrong, I'm not going to make that judgment. But you can tell by their willingness to come out and say it, something was already broken in that locker room. I do see where he's saying that the running back position has been devalued over the years. The running back franchise tag dropped from 12.1 million to 11.8 million. The wide receiver tag is 15.9. There's something wrong here where the running back tag actually dropped. It dropped. So clearly, people are just getting paid less. Le'Veon Bell, when you see. He is one of those talented three-down backs that can do it all. And he feels abused in Pittsburgh. He's got over 1,600 touches. Gurley's under 1,000. So, obviously, he's not going to get paid like Gurley. The wear and tear is there. It's too far gone. His body's been damaged. But I can understand that's why he's holding out now. I have no problem with Le'Veon Bell making his money, especially when you see someone like Jarek McKinnon. No shade on Jarek McKinnon. I like him. He was a good back in Minnesota, but obviously suffered his year-ending injury in San Francisco. But he's making four years $37 million. Jarek McKinnon is not Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell is a second-best back. He could be argued he's the first-best back in the league consistently. You have to pay a guy like that because he's going to bring your team to a Super Bowl. Not by himself, but he's going to be a valuable piece that gets the job done. Yes, he does miss some games. But last year, he only missed one game. He's obviously been dinged up. He's had some injury issues coming off the field and all that. He's had 18 missed games in five seasons and two suspensions for substance abuse policies. So he hasn't been an angel, and he hasn't been completely healthy. I can understand that. But end of the day... You only have a handful of running backs as talented as this guy. And if you have all the pieces in place to go to the promised land, why would you not go out and get him? That said, it's a pricey move. It's becoming less pricey with every week. You can chop 855000 every week off of that price tag. So that's what you have going for you if you buy him in a few weeks, I would have to put a couple of people that I would say that should be in the market for him. I was thinking maybe the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts, they have Andrew Luck coming back from his injury. He's looking strong. He's looking good. Not much of a defense, not much of an offensive line. They don't have a whole ton of pieces in place right now, but they do have a foundation to build around. And what other place has a quarterback that is primed to win, that needs that star running back in his backfield, and Andrew Luck, and the Indianapolis Colts. Not to mention, they have an extra second-round pick from the Jets in a trade from last year, so they have the ammunition to jump up and get it done if they really want to. They have $73 million in cap room, so they can certainly afford it. You can just tell. These guys, yes, it's a slightly different front office, but these guys are prone to make big moves especially for running backs. You saw what they did trading the Browns a few years ago for Trent Richardson when they thought that he had the ample opportunity to be a superstar to fill in in that backfield. Obviously, that didn't pan out. They moved him out, but it just showed that they're ready, they're willing, they want to make the move, they want to put someone a star-caliber player in the backfield to help Andrew Luck out. Indianapolis, I really think that's a good place for him to go and a place that should be intrigued to go get him. Next, I'd say the Texans, Houston Texans, 0-3, they need to do something. They've got Watson, they have the vertical weapons in Hopkins and Will Fuller, but Lamar Miller is not the guy. He's never been the guy. He's never going to be the guy. I realize they're probably going to have some issues, but Houston should probably be taking a look and see if they can go out and get Bell. Having a stud running back in that backfield, that would immediately become one of the best, most intriguing offenses in the league. It'd be explosive and there wouldn't be much stopping them, even in that strong defensive AFC South. Next up, I'd say Tampa Bay. Finances might be a problem, but I could you know, I just I like the fit there. Kind of he he could definitely work some things out. The only problem is I'm not sure how the finances and how the issues would go with Jameis. When Jameis comes back, he's owed money. Next year they should have 25 million open, but I'm not sure they can make things work this year. I would only make this move if you're interested in actually moving on from Jameis. If Jameis is out the door, maybe you can even ship Jameis to Pittsburgh. I don't know, maybe it's a little pie in the sky. I don't know if Pittsburgh is willing to make the move for Jameis or anybody else that has that many character flaws, but it's been a few years since his last problem. We'll see if Tampa Bay pans out. Kind of doubt it. But they're on my list. Last but not least, we have our missing comrade, Rick, his team, the Jets. The Jets, they have a rookie quarterback deal right now. They've got two third-round picks. They have plenty of ammunition to pull this off. The only thing, as we've heard before, Rick and Jets fans saying, if we're going to do this, why not make the move for Mac? It's not really the same thing. It's not even in the same category, the prices you'd have to pay for the two. So I don't think that's really worth bringing up. I think that would be a huge help to have a running back like Le'Veon Bell in the backfield with a rookie quarterback, young enough guy like Sam Darnold, that would really help him out. Especially with the lack of true talent. Robbie Anderson, Quincy Inunua, I like them. They're not Pro Bowl caliber receivers. So there you have it. The Colts, the Texans, the Bucs, the Jets. Bell is going to get moved. At least that's my thought. Should he... Probably not. He should just stick it out, not quite take James Harrison's advice and say, oh, I'm suddenly injured this week after practicing all week, and then sit out all the games. I wouldn't go that far. That's going to ruin his reputation around the league. A lot of people won't want to give him the money that he's looking for in free agency next year. But bide your time, put your time in after week 10, and get your year vested, hit the open market, make your money, Le'Veon. Let's just hope this isn't a trend in players' starting to hold teams hostage. I can understand it. I can respect getting your money. But we don't want to get strung up in the off field of it all. All right, next up on the fourth quarter comeback, we have the New England Patriots. Are they in trouble? Trouble is a strong word. It's kind of funny. Obviously, the Patriots tend to start off a little bit slow in Septembers, and they really could care less. You hear how Belichick's talking about Nobody's lost or clinched the playoffs or lost the playoffs in September in week three. He's right. But things don't look so great for them right now. They just lost to the Lions, a Lions team that was embarrassed by their division rival, the Jets, in week one. So losing to Lions 26-10 drops them down to a 1-2 and record. But I can't say I'm all that impressed. The only team they've beaten... Is the 0-3 Texans? So something's wrong with the Patriots. As much as we always say, with well, they don't let all this personal stuff get carried over onto the field. Once the season starts, they're all business. I don't know if that's true anymore. Playing the Matt Patricia-led Detroit Lions, Brady was 14 for 133 and a touchdown and an interception. That's his fewest yards since 2014. He also had negative one yard, negative negative one yard in the first quarter. That's his lowest since 2006. Something's wrong with the MVP, the goat, if you will. Some will, I won't. It's not all on Brady. Obviously, he had his issues, but the Pats were just getting no pressure. The Lions were protecting Stafford all night, and there's obviously just a flaw in the system. Belichick, he doesn't feel as in control anymore. He used to be the man. He used to be the king around New England. Nobody questioned him, but now I feel like that's not the case anymore. I don't know if Robert Kraft just decided that he felt like he wasn't getting the credit that he deserved through the whole process, and now he's stepping up and saying, no, no, I'm the man. I'm the man in New England because I'm cutting the checks. Or Brady just felt hung out to dry after Deflategate and all those other things and the whole Garoppolo issue, so Brady just decided to say, listen, I'm the guy on the field making this happen. I'm done with Belichick getting the glory and people questioning, is it Belichick or Brady? Am I just a system quarterback? Brady hates that. I don't have to be inside his head to tell you that. You know it for yourself. Tom Brady hates what people say about him and the Belichick system. We will see what happens going forward. They have Josh Gordon. They made a huge move to go out and get Josh Gordon, and they're going to need him because Brady, he's kind of been suffering on the deep ball. He does pretty well sometimes, but his accuracy is off with the deep ball. If he has a weapon like Josh Gordon going up and getting that ball, I'm not going to say he's Randy Moss when he joined the Patriots, but that could be similar. At least he's that rangy, powerful Speedy downfield wide receiver that can make the big play for Tom Brady when he just launches that ball out there. And Brady can extend the play and make it happen. That said, they are 25th in total yards and points, 26th in passing, 28th in total defensive yards. They're just a mess right now. They're not good on the offensive or the defensive side of the ball. Patriots are going to have to do something better. They're going to have to step up. Otherwise, this is going to crush them, and they're going to lose their grip on the AFC East, especially when you consider they have to go and play the 3-0 and Miami Dolphins this week. And if the Dolphins grab them by the throat and choke them out, I can promise you this, them being 4-0 and and having those early tiebreakers on the Patriots, I don't know that the Patriots come back from that. I know people have written them off early in the season, written their obituaries prematurely. This could be the time. Next on the list, Pat Mahomes. What the hell has gotten into this kid? Starting the Kansas City Chiefs off to a 3-0 start, he's number one in the entire league right now. So far, he's starting off 2018 with 896 yards, a 66% completion percentage, 13 touchdowns over the first three games. He's got a 91 QBR, 137.4 rating. This kid's on fire. One of the greatest starts to a season from a quarterback perspective ever. Yes, you could owe it to himself. He's got a hell of an arm. He's got a hell of a cannon. He's being pretty damn accurate with the ball, too. You can give some credit to Andy Reid. Andy Reid just helps protect his quarterbacks. He's consistently in the average top 10 of the league's best interception over the past 19 years. He is just something special. He is a quarterback whisperer. I don't love that whisperer bullshit, but he is a quarterback whisperer. And he has gotten in Pat Mahomes' ear because he is protecting the ball. 13 touchdowns, zero interceptions. That's just not heard of. When you look at how they're getting it done, too, did you see the play? Third and goal, Mahomes has it on the 5-yard line. He has to scramble back to his own 20 because they were getting pressure. They let these guys right through. He scrambles back to the twenty leans to the ground, presses up, fires a dart to Conley in the back corner of the end zone to go up 21 to 7. When you see plays like that, those are the type of plays that make you say, okay, it's not just the strong arm. It's not just decent accuracy. It's not just a mind for the game. The kid is special. And I wasn't a huge supporter. I was a wait and see guy at Mahomes. Am I saying he's the next? Great Hall of Famer of all time. I'm not saying that, but I am saying he is something special that can go out there and win championships for his team. I hate to say that as a Raider fan, but he is crushing it right now. He has Kansas City as the seventh best in passing yards, yes, but they're first in points. He's leading that offense as such a young man, and he is guiding them down the right path along with Andy Reid. That offense is insane. They have Kelsey. They have Hill. They have Hunt. They have Watkins. They have Conley. They have all these weapons. And he is using them the right way. His 13 touchdowns through three games, it actually breaks Peyton Manning's record for touchdowns through three games. Now, yes, I hate, I just hate when they, they you can make a stat for anything. Oh, it's through three games he broke it. What about two games? What about seven games? What's the, What are the records there? I don't care, but... This one is actually kind of important because through three games, he has 13 touchdowns. Peyton Manning, he had 12 through three games in 2013. That year is important because that's the year he threw for the record 55 touchdowns. So if any time a record like that is relevant, this would be a time. Do I see him keeping up that pace? I don't. But it's something to watch, and we're going to see if he's going to be able to keep up that pace. Because 55 touchdowns is no joke. And you get 55 touchdowns, you're going deep into the playoffs. And now we're going to be talking about everybody's favorite topic, the most exciting thing of the week, the roughing the passer calls. That's right. Nobody's excited about this. It's murdering our game. Just just killing it brutally. There are 34 roughing the passer calls so far this year through three weeks. Last year, there were 16, so more than double already. Obviously, after Jerry Jones, some of the players they are coming out, Jerry Jones, I mean, he's not exactly the best proponent because we all know he has an ax to grind against Commissioner Goodell, no matter what, but it's good to actually hear an owner come out and say something. They are holding a conference call the committee next week to address all the penalties and how they can fix it because obviously everybody... In the league, knows this is not going the right way, and this is not what they intended. We do need to clarify something, though, for everybody going out there. Oh, the new rule, the new rule is what's killing us. Guys, this is an old rule. This is over 20 plus years old. It's just they finally put something in after the rules committee met. They had an order to start enforcing this a little bit more judiciously on the field because of the Aaron Rodgers incident, his injury, and a few other calls. So they wanted to make sure that this is something that's out there and is enforced a little bit more so. Let's not be fooled into thinking this is some kind of brand new rule. It's an old rule. And the league, as a matter of fact, has sent out tape. They've sent out multiple examples of how to make the tackle that they're saying is legal and feasible to do. So, yes, the league will try to fix this. They do see problems with what's going on, but they also believe that they're in the right, with this being the right move to protect their stars, their quarterbacks, their moneymakers. They're going to have to do something, though, when you have players like Clay Matthews after two weeks in a row. This guy has just been getting crushed. Crushed with these calls. This week it wasn't as egregious as the week before, but he's coming out saying the league's getting soft. I think everybody's going to be on the side with him. It's just not a good look. It's not a good look when the players and the fans are all saying the league is getting soft. No, we don't need to go back to the days where people were getting concussions and just getting destroyed. We don't need those old VHS tapes where people are getting drilled helmet to helmet and getting carted off. But we also don't need the rockabye baby bullshit, where we're tucking quarterbacks to sleep. For instance, in my game this week, Dolphins William Hayes, poor guy. Thank you, William Hayes. I want to say it from Raider Nation from the bottom of our heart, from for, not laying out on Derek Carr during that sack we remember, once upon a time, Tony Saragusa's fat ass laid on Rich Gannon. That crushed him. And that cost us a realistic chance, or at least we thought so, at a Super Bowl that year. So, thank you for not laying out on Derek Carr. But as Derek said himself, we wish that you had. Because it's not worth it to have a defensive player like that try to pull away and roll off of the quarterback to not make that hit. And the poor guy tears his ACL. He's done for the year. It's just not worth it. You can't sacrifice these guys and their well-being and their playing time and their careers for another group and their careers. The quarterbacks, yes, they're the most important guys on the field. Nobody's ever going to argue that. But we can't just start shitting all over the defensive players just to try and cater to the quarterback. Even the quarterbacks don't want that. So we need to find a happy medium. They need to meet. They have to have this meeting next week and figure something out to improve it because the way it is now, it's just not going to work. All right, next up, we got our brief Raider Nation report. I am a Raider fan, so if you don't like it, that's just too damn bad. But if you're not a Raider fan, then you'll probably love it because it is not good. Raiders, we are 0-3. This is not a good start. This is not a good start to Gruden's comeback campaign. Obviously, we're looking at this long-term. We're not just going to be narrow-minded, narrow-sighted. We just traded away Khalil Mack, best player on the team. Absolutely no pass rush. Three sacks. Three. (laughs) So obviously, the team is not adjusted yet to that. And they may not until the offseason when they plug in a new pass rusher. The Raiders simply cannot close in the red zone. They're just not getting it done. Carter's being reckless with the ball. It is a tale of two halves for the Raiders so far this year. They are probably one of the best teams in the first half. They're up 35-17. to They're outscoring their opponents in the first half. But then get to the second half and they're being outscored 64-17. to And not only that, but then in the fourth quarter, they're being outscored 37-3. to Something is falling apart. Quarterbacks are readjusting their game plan with their coaches at halftime, and they are just picking that defense apart because they realize, we can do what we please. These guys cannot get after us in the backfield. On the offensive side of the ball, Carr... (sighs) He's doing well with his completion percentage when they're playing the safe game, but his deep ball is lacking something. He's just lost it right now. I don't get it. He's making poor choices on a few of these things. He's just being reckless with some interceptions. That said, some of the receivers could have bailed him out. So we can't just blame Carr. The entire team is just not working together. It's not clicking yet. I feel it will start to come back together, but obviously... Not looking like the playoffs are in the sight this year. We'll have to see how the team grows and progresses under Gruden going forward. All right, next up we got a new thing here on the show in the fourth quarter comeback. We have some questions from the audience. First up, we have Adam from Rhode Island. His question is, (laughs) not safe for work here. Adam says, what the fuck is wrong with Garrett right now? He went from coach of the year to one of the worst in football. Well, Adam, I'd have to say, not running Zeke enough is probably one of the first problems. I think he only had 15 carries in the last game. It's just not working out. Even with the problems they're having currently on the offensive line, that normally stout offensive line, the injuries that plague the team are unfortunate, but they're just hurting themselves now by not running Zeke. Zeke is a monster. Let him eat. I'd say the problem with Garrett, it was kind of a fluke. I mean, he just benefited from the players excelling on the offense from 2016, to be honest. They had the offensive line, Witten and Bryant. They were going for it. They knew they were towards the end of their careers, so they were playing pretty decently. Not great, but they were playing well enough. But then they had these rookies coming in with Zeke and Dak, and they were just setting the world on fire in Dallas. Plus, add to that, you have the whole storyline of Romo going out early and them having a rookie quarterback having to take the reins from the great Romo. And the voters just decided Garrett was going to be the recipient of that. But honestly, I don't really see a leader in Garrett. I see a cheerleader in Garrett. That's the issue. He just stands on the sideline clapping for every old thing. If Jerry knew what was good for him, he'd get Garrett out of there and he'd get something going. Bring in the next great offensive mind like Sean McVay went to L.A. and took over for Fisher. Look what happened. They can do the same thing in Dallas if they make the move. Next up, from my home state, Massachusetts, we've got John. Is Baker Mayfield the real deal? Thanks, Pat. Love the show. Thank you, John. We love you. All right. Is Baker the real deal? Um, Baker's probably a top 15 to 20 quarterback type of guy in my mind, it's possible he will lead the Browns to the playoffs going forward. He's going to get them there. Not this year, but he will get them there eventually. And he's going to have a string of a few years there where they're going to win the AFC North. But do I see him as a top five quarterback? Do I see him as an MVP type of guy, an all pro guy? No, I just, I don't see that for Baker. I think he's an inspiration guy with some good talent, but he's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not Drew Brees. I just don't see him getting to that level, but he's certainly going to be good enough to carry a team into the first, second round of the playoffs. Of course, that all comes down to his coaching, because I am not a Hugh Jackson believer. I believe Hugh Jackson already should have been out of town. I'm not sure if ownership is going to love having to have Baker's mind be messed with from Hugh Jackson in that front office. Dorsey is taking control now. I feel like they're going to move on from Jackson sooner rather than later. We just have to see how many wins the Browns get this year. But similar to the Cowboys, they need to make a move and get another big offensive-minded guy in there to take the reins and get that offense on track. Next up, we have our official fourth quarter comeback power rankings. So this week at number five, we have the Eagles, previously missing from our list. And no offense to Nick Foles, but we have Carson Wentz back in action, came in to defeat the Colts. They're 2-1 and and ahead of the NFC East. So the Eagles getting the nod, defending champions. They should get our respect, at least for now. Number four, we have the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yes, they suffered a 9-6 loss in that barn burner with Tennessee but the Jags are still 2-1, second in points allowed. Yes, the offense does need to get going, but the defense is surreal right now, and they have the best secondary in the game. Reason I put the Jags ahead of the Titans, who are also up there and just defeated the Jags. The Titans, they have a negative one point differential. They're just not hitting right now, and Mariota's huge question mark, so I'm going with the Jags at number four. Next at number three is 3-0. and o for the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins came in, held strong, beat the Raiders in the second half, and took them down. They're going to be facing the division rival, New England Patriots, this week. And if they beat them, they're going to jump up to a big 4-0 start and a tiebreaker over the Patriots early on. I just like the Dolphins. They're doing something right. At number two, we have the Kansas City Chiefs. I already gushed about Pat Mahomes enough, but he is on fire. He's protecting the ball. Andy Reid has that team working. Defense, offense, the Chiefs just have it going for them. They are proving to be the class of that tough AFC West. And at number one, of course, we have the L.A. Rams at 3-0. They are just the unstoppable juggernaut of the league. They're playing in a very weak NFC West The 49ers are done for the year, it's looking like, after the injuries to Jimmy Garoppolo, Jarek McKinnon, and others. The Seahawks are a mess with absolutely no offensive line, and the Cardinals are a toss-up, even with rookie quarterback Josh Rosen coming out to start. Most impressively, they have the highest point differential in the league with 66 points. The next closest team, I believe, is the Baltimore Ravens. That is 20 points away from the Rams. So there you have it. There's our fourth quarter comeback official power rankings for the week. We'll see what changes next week and where the power shifts. And speaking of shifting, let's shift our topic over to fantasy football, your favorite and mine. Today, I'm going to actually give a little bit of fantasy advice. My fantasy advice is don't be afraid to trade. Trading can be your friend. Too many people out there are too scared to pull the trigger on a good deal because they're worried about looking foolish or feel like they're going to miss out. Do not be scared. If you feel like you have a good deal and you feel like you're getting something back that that can improve your team, then go for it. Whether it be the sure thing or reaching out for one of those hidden gems Or a guy that just got traded, like Josh Gordon. We'll throw him out there. If you believe he's going to break out, go for it. Don't be too shy to make a move. That's how you're going to win. Bold moves win championships. Don't be scared to trade in fantasy football. It's not going to be the end of the world if you miss out on a trade. That said, don't go trade in the farm just because you're desperate. Desperation is the loser's cologne, and everybody in the league can smell it. So do not go fishing for trades and showing your hand too early because people are going to see that you're desperate and they're going to try to take advantage of you. Don't trade your studs or your entire team unless you're getting proper value back. Who's the proper value? That's up to you to decide. Nobody else can tell you. But bottom line, don't be scared to make a move. And now we have the fourth-quarter classic, the Buy and Sell Fantasy Watch. My first buy of the week is a pretty obvious one. Everybody's fallen in love with him. Mike Williams, two touchdowns this week. I liked Mike Williams before, and I continue to like him because he is building rapport with Phillip Rivers. Look forward to Mike Williams getting a lot more targets, a lot more touchdowns. Next up, I've got Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan's over 600-plus yards, six touchdowns in the last two games. Matt Ryan, he's got another viable target. Who knew? A tough kid from Alabama. Wide receiver Calvin Ridley, pairing opposite of Julio Jones. They are a force to be reckoned with. Matt Ryan, especially as soon as Devontae Freeman comes back, he is going to be lighting the league on fire. Passing yards, touchdowns, he's going to be getting the stats. So keep Matt Ryan. Buy Matt Ryan cheap if you can right now. Pick him up. Matt Ryan's a pretty good guy for you. Next up, here's a desperation play for those out there in leagues that have hoarders or two quarterback leagues. For those people that cannot get a quarterback, they don't seem to have one, go get Jameis Winston. He's out there. There's a very high likelihood they're just not starting him against a tough Bears defense. They're going to go into the bye, and then Jameis is going to start for the Bucks the rest of the way. So if that's the case and you pounce early, yes, you know, I do not love Jameis Winston, but he's going to be at least a semi-valuable fantasy starter. So if you need one in two quarterback leagues, flex quarterback leagues, or leagues with hoarders that like to keep three quarterbacks on their bench in hopes to trade people, Jameis Winston might be a good guy to stash and have as your quarterback. Lastly, I'm going to be selling Adrian Peterson. I love Adrian Peterson, and he is defying father time. Put up two touchdowns. I like to take this ride with Adrian Peterson, but unfortunately, it's going to be a very bumpy road. It's going to be very inconsistent with lots of potholes, and I'm going to dive out of this metaphor because Adrian Peterson is a guy you need to sell. Good back. He'll get the job done every other week. And if that's consistent enough for you cool, keep them. To me, not so much. I'd like to move on while his value's high enough, get something decent in return. And lastly, on the fourth quarter comeback from Six Pack Pat, we have Six Pick Pat. These are the six things that I'm looking at that I'm picking as most interesting to see around the world of football this week. First up, number one, we have Ryan Fitzpatrick versus the Bears. Tampa Bay's 2-1. they got the bye week next week. As I just said in the last segment, we know Jameis Winston is coming back this week from the suspension. This could be the last chance for Ryan Fitzpatrick to prove he has what it takes to be the starter for a little while longer. Now, if Tampa Bay was considering that Jameis Winston is their guy going forward, no matter what, then why wouldn't they have him out there? Maybe because they're worried about Khalil Mack murdering him on his first game back. So they will wait. They will let Fitzpatrick take the hits and go into the bye week to get Jameis ready. Fitzpatrick has 400 yards in his last three games to start the year. The only guy to ever do that. 400 games, three straight games in a row. Fitzpatrick should not make it easy on the Tampa Bay Brass and put up another 400 on that Bears defense. I don't think we'll see Jameis if that happens. Next up, we have the Miami Secondary. They've got seven interceptions on the year. That is leading the league. They are 29th in pass yards allowed with 865. They're going to have to deal with Tom Brady, who's coming off of a horrible performance, his lowest passing yardage in quite a few years, and potentially has a new long-range weapon with Josh Gordon. Gronk looks hungry. It seems like Tom Brady is going to come out slinging that ball. So I'm looking at you, Miami secondary, Xavier Howard, Rashad Jones, T.J. McDonald, Minka Fitzpatrick, and anybody else out there calling you out. Let's see what you can get done against Brady and the Patriots. Can you step up, get it done when the pressure is on to take a big lead in the AFC East early on? Next we have the Vikings, the 1-1-1 Minnesota Vikings going to the Rams 3-0 on Thursday Night Football. This just seems like game of the week written all over it. Of course, the Vikings not playing up to their potential. The Rams have the third best offense and the sixth best defense in the league this year, while the Vikings have the fourth best passing offense, but the 31st rushing offense. That is in part due to Dalvin Cook being injured, but it looks like he's going to be expected to play Thursday night. However, not expected to play for Minnesota is Everson Griffin, who is out with off-field mental health issues and has apparently gone batshit crazy. So don't look forward to seeing him. Out for the Rams is going to be Akib Talib, who's out indefinitely with an ankle injury that required surgery. So not sure how long that's going to take, but a bright spot is the younger superstar, young gun Marcus Peters, only has a strained calf, and should be day-to-day possible to play. They were not expecting this. They were fearing a lot worse last week. After the Vikings got roughed up by the Buffalo Bills, we'll see if they can come back looking a bit stronger and playing up to the competition we assume they were prepping for, and that would be the Rams, because we know they weren't preparing for the Bills. Number four on my list for six-pick Pat is Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas is not practicing, but he's making points, and he is making them on the field. He had two interceptions against one of his big suitors, the Dallas Cowboys. He does want to be traded or taken care of. Doesn't seem like taken care of is going to be an option this year. And the traded Seahawks are saying they have to be blown away. They have to be blown away by the performance of Earl Thomas. He's getting rest, and he's getting results. We'll see what happens this week with Earl Thomas as he continues pushing his trade value through the roof. Number five, we have the Bills and the Packers. Listen, the Bills dominated the Vikings. The Bills dominated the Vikings, who were 16.5-point favorites. 16.5. That's just ridiculous, and it lends every credence to the saying, any given Sunday. Listen, the Bills get sacks? Green Bay gives up sacks, and we know that Aaron Rodgers and his knee are hurting right now. So if Buffalo can get in there and cause a lot of pressure, this could be an interesting game and another vengeful trip from Buffalo to the NFC North. Green Bay has the 27th best run defense. Chris Ivory put up 126 total yards, and it sounds like Shady McCoy is ready to play. He's definitely saying he's still hurt, but he wants to get out there. He wants to get some run against that weak Green Bay run defense. Josh Allen is a gamer, we all saw, and if you didn't, take a look, go look it up, Josh Allen hurtling Anthony Barr of the Vikings. I'm sure his coaches told him never, ever, ever do that again, but that just showed the spirit he has, the kid wants to win, the guy wants to win games, and he has the canon and mentality to do it. Also, one last side note that could be fun and it could be terrible. Could this be the third week in a row, Clay Matthews? Because Buffalo's tied for worst in sacks allowed. So will we see Clay Matthews with another clutch roughing the passer to help Buffalo win the game? Last but not least, we have the stoppable force versus the very movable object. That would be the Raiders' non-pass rush against Baker's non-pass offensive line. The Raiders are dead last in the league in sacks with three. Cleveland is tied for worst in sacks allowed. Let's see who can excel at being the most terrible. That said, it should be an interesting offensive showdown. I look forward to seeing Baker and Derek Carr have a hell of a showdown on Sunday. It should be a quality game if you're not watching the line play. And those are my six picks for the week, what I'm watching around the world of football. And that is the show. Thank you again for joining us on the fourth quarter comeback. We cannot do it without you and your support. We love you. We thank you. You can follow us on social media, on Twitter, at 4QCShow, at 6PackPat, the number six, at RickRedZone, even though he is absent today and on our Facebook page on the 4th Quarter Comeback. We thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. Enjoy week four. Hopefully your team does well and you are fantasy dominant. Join us Saturday for Rick's Picks, as well as our our Quick Pick Show. And now time for the parting shot. If anybody's seen a spare face laying around, please return it to Chris Conti, Vance McDonald stiff-armed it the fuck off.